everybody. I'm Pastor AJ Hausman, and welcome to Shit They Don't Tell You on Sunday, a podcast to dig deeper into aspects of the Bible that get glossed over or totally ignored in most preaching. The Bible has a lot of parts that are racy, uncomfortable, and sometimes downright horrifying. Let's talk about it. Well, welcome to episode 10. Um, today, our guest is Pastor Melissa Whipple who is the pastor of the Lutheran Church of the Living Christ in Florissant, Missouri, um, and an old seminary classmate of mine. Um, I like to throw that out there because sometimes I think people are like, how do you know all of these people that are just like all over the country? Like, how do you know a pastor in Missouri? Um, and the truth is, uh, the Lutheran pastor world is a lot smaller than one might seem. Um, and also there's only seven Lutheran seminaries. And so chances are pastors from all over the country are going to one of those schools, um, which both of us actually were rebels. Um, and both of us we went to school on the East coast rather than um, one of the four Midwest seminaries that exist as Midwesterners um, because uh, Melissa is from Nebraska and so um, it's quite a miracle that we're friends as a native Iowan that. It is. We try not to talk about it too much <laughs> so we can maintain our friendship. Um, we just don't speak the day after Thanksgiving. Basically. It, it's, <laughs> it's best best for all of us. Um, but go Big Red. Yeah. Oh, see? There it is. Uh, for, for those that aren't from Nebraska or Iowa, you probably have no idea that the day after Thanksgiving is always the Nebraska-Iowa football game. Um, it's a bigger holiday than Thanksgiving itself, I think. Um, definitely more celebrated. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. You guys thought it was so, Black Friday. You were wrong. Yeah, football is is uh, the most important thing that happens that week. <laughs> but we can always bond over like the Big Ten as long as we're not playing each other. Like we can agree everyone hates Ohio State. Yes, no questions. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's what Just how it is. <laughs> All right. Well, today uh, we are going to talk about um, the New Testament passage for Sunday, June 13th. For those of you who are planning on going to church that day uh, and your church follows the lectionary, this is what you're going to hear. Um, and so <clears throat> this is one of those where like, I actually don't totally know why they do this. Like you, you have the option of leaving out the middle verses. And I, as we've discussed in the podcast, I'm very against doing that sort of thing. So your bulletin may read second Corinthians chapter five, verses six through 10 parentheses, 11 through 13, and then 14 through 17. Um, for normal people, it's just second Corinthians chapter five, verses six through 17. I'd like to make it a little bit more complicated. But today I'm going to read from the Common English Bible. So here we go. So we are always confident because we know that while we are living in the body, we are away from our home with the Lord. We live by faith and not by sight. We are confident and we would prefer to leave the body and to be at home with the Lord. So our goal is to be acceptable to him, whether we are at home or away from home. We all must appear before Christ in court so that each person can be paid back for the things that were done while in the body, 
whether they were good or bad. So we try to persuade people, since we know what it means to fear the Lord. We are well known by God, and I hope that in your heart, we are well known by you as well. We aren't trying to commend ourselves to you again. Instead, we are giving you an opportunity to be proud of us so that you could answer those who take pride in superficial appearances and not what is in the heart. If we are crazy, it is for God's sake. If we are rational, it is for your sake. The love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this. One died for the sake of all. Therefore, all died. He died for the sake of all so that those who are alive should live not for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. So then, from this point on, we won't recognize people by human standards. Even though we used, we used to know Christ by human standards, that isn't how we know him now. So then, if anyone is in Christ, that person is a part of the new creation. The old things have gone away, and look, new things have arrived. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, um, you took an epistles class with the Reverend Dr. Rick Carlson, correct? I did. Yeah. Did you guys kind of talk about... um, well, I know you did because you shared your notes with me about uh, what you talked about in relation to sort of Paul's idea of body and soul and that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, we did. Um, and I think, you know, this is a really um, important piece of understanding any of Paul's writings um, because he talks about our bodies and our souls a lot. Um, and I think often our assumption um, is that Paul is saying there's a difference between them, that somehow um, we are separated from or can separate our bodies from our souls or our spirits. Um, However, that's that's probably really not faithful um, to Paul's own understanding, Um, that Paul really understood human beings um, as being our bodies. We don't have bodies, we are bodies. Um, And I think that's really important to how we understand uh, passages like this one, um, where we can easily uh, get confused and start thinking that Paul is somehow saying um, our bodies are something separate from our souls. Yeah. And so that language can be seen in sort of, you know, if if you were to take this part where it says, you know, like, um, you know, you'd prefer to leave the body and to be at home with the Lord. Um, and, and for us, what we then interpret that is sort of the, the, the body soul thing. Um, but first I want to um, kind of talk a little bit about sort of just the, the book here of, of second Corinthians and kind of understanding. Um, so Paul was trying to guide a bunch of new baby churches in the very, very early church. Um, and so to also date this so that people understand that like these letters were written before the gospels were written. So Paul and the church in Corinth that he's writing to do not have access to that. Like they don't have one of the written, um, gospels yet. Cause 
they didn't exist. And so that's always under uh, important to understand when you read the New Testament. It's not like they're references to the Gospels. Like you have the Gospels and then these are all the letters about them. Um, it, it's just not the order in which the order of operations there. Um, so Paul writes four letters to the church in Corinth because uh, they were problem children um, and couldn't get their shit together. So Paul was like, listen, why is this so hard? Um, and right, so, I'm going to tell you what's up. <laughs> yeah. I, so he writes um, like a first letter. And so there's like a, a first and a second letter and they're kind of got meshed together in first Corinthians. Like um, scholars can parse out the different parts of that. There's actually two different letters there that were at some point in time kind of meshed together. Um, and then we have second Corinthians and then there, wait, no, then there's the, the letter in the, the letter of tears that gets referenced to in, in second Corinthians, but that we don't actually have it. So there's that, the third letter. Um, and then second Corinthians is actually the fourth letter that, that, that he writes them. Um, and actually between, so between, so first Corinthians and this letter of tears, he actually like goes back and visits them. Like there's such a problem children that like two letters weren't enough. He had to trek his ass all the way from Ephesus to be like, what are you guys doing? Um, and to try to offer them some in-person um, support. And then writes them two more letters. And he's kind of harsh with them. Um, and, and you get that kind of vibe um, that like the first letter was like a warning letter. Right, right. Because even here in Second Corinthians, um, probably is a mashup of a few different writings. Um, at least two, but perhaps even more. Um, because there's, there's two really distinct arguments. Um, that Paul's making, um, mm -hmm. he, you know, he's trying to encourage the church um, and um, explain his teachings opposed to some other newer teachings that are coming to them. Um, yeah, and then the second, the second part is um, uh, pretty, pretty bold um, about, yeah, get your shit together, church. I don't speak Greek, so that I mean that's just my summary of uh of of what he was saying in the Greek, but uh, but in our passage for today, he he's a, a he is addressing something that again I I'm gonna say just the uncomfortable part right up front um, uh, that Melissa alluded to um, is we have this dualistic mindset that we have a body and a soul, and that when we die. Um, our body just gets buried and is decayed and that our soul is like this detachable thing that then goes off and goes somewhere else um, into that into that afterlife space. Um, and so I'm going to say the, the uncomfortable thing right up front. Um, <clears throat> this idea is not in the Bible. Um, we invented this later. Um, <laughs> So, so going back to, to what um, Paul's actual understanding was, if, if you would. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, and this, this is really rooted um, in Paul's um, understanding of the Hebrew scriptures um, as someone who grew up in the Jewish community, mm -hmm. um, who knew uh, those scriptures well. Um, so, so that worldview um, is, is that... Um, whatever we are sort of exists together that um, our mind and our body and our soul are all one being um, mm -hmm. that, that can't be separated from each other. Um, and so 
So we're not just like a sum of all of our parts, um, but it's, it's all of our parts that make us human beings, um, which includes um, our bodies. Um, and so, so for so, Paul, well, the, the Hebrew, well, I was going to say the, the kind of like the Hebrew reference of understanding this is this idea of nefesh, um, which sometimes in, in modern day translations, you, you might see it as soul, but um, it, it's not. It's, so this nefesh is sort of like, it's life. It is, it is the life force. Um, and so like you see where, you know, like God, you know, breathe the light force either. So breath or, or this, this life force, um, but it's not like a separate entity. I'm thinking about like, um, well, just cause I'm a huge Harry Potter fan. Right. So like, I'm thinking about, uh, the Horcruxes, right. And the fact that you can just like separate your soul from your body. Um, but that is not, um, the idea that the, the ancient, uh, Jewish population would have thought. Right, right. And I'm even thinking too about the new movie Soul from Disney. Um, yeah. Great. But what is depicted there is not a Christian understanding um, of, of what happens when we die. Um, so let's talk about what does then, because I think everyone here is going to be like, uh, what do you mean that's not a Christian understanding? You got heaven and you got hell. And when you die, your soul goes to one of those places. So what, what, what is our biblical understanding then? Yeah. So I think surprisingly, our, our scripture actually says very little about what happens after death mm-hmm. um, and is actually really not super concerned about that question. Um, more often than not, throughout our scripture, um, the emphasis is, is that God's, God's presence is with us. Um, no matter where we find ourselves. Um, in other places, Paul will, you know, will write whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so the Bible is far more concerned about that question of God's presence and where is God's presence um, versus what happens to us after we die. You know, there's, there's not an idea that, um, you know, our, our sort of contemporary idea of heaven is like this really cool place where like we get to do whatever we want to do you know I I remember so distinctly at like high school walk-ins talking about like heaven being the place where like we could drink Mountain Dew all day and like (laughs) hang out with our friends um which like really just misses the point entirely (laughs) Yeah. And so like, I would say this is, um, I mean, so this is uncomfortable, I think just in general for taking on the concept of like the common notion of this and how it's actually, um, not, and, and, and again, like Luther didn't even think this stuff. If you're coming from, you know, like a Lutheran doctrinal perspective, like this is not what's going on. Um, but it's such the, like the common view. Um, and so I think that's uncomfortable to take on as well as for like, I, I'm even thinking like how uncomfortable is like a pastor. So when I talk about like, there's a lot of things that pastors won't preach from the pulpit. I actually might be a little uncomfortable to, to take that on um, in the pulpit. And that's more so like one is I think that this idea um, how it's been created is meant to give comfort to, to people. Right. Or else life is just a scary bag of crap. Right. Like you gotta have, you know, this, this something to look forward to. Um, but like we were talking about in, in, in the past few 
quite a few since we've been in the time after Easter, right? Um, of all the, the, the John stuff is, you know, the Johannian corpus is really about the, the kingdom here and now, right? And so like, I think we get a little bit different of a perspective um, from Paul. Um, do you want to say more about that? Yeah, well, so, so um, you know, as we're thinking about the early church, um, they were pretty convinced that um, the second coming, Christ's return to earth was going to happen like soon, soon and very soon, like yeah, in their right. lifetime. Like, like maybe in five years, right? Right. Um, and, and then as time goes on, that doesn't happen. Yeah. Um, and so, so part of what Paul is doing is, is exploring that, okay, so it's looking like Jesus isn't coming back in my lifetime. Right. And so, so he went around and told all the mean? churches that, right? Like he's going to be like, listen, this is the plan, right? Jesus is going to be back in a few years. So get ready, right? Like getting them ready for the immediate apocalypse. And it's right. going to happen. Right. Um, and also, side note, biblical apocalypse being right. Sorry. Than Thank you. <laughs> contemporary vision um, portrayals of apocalypse. Um, yes. Tell me, tell yeah. me what a biblical, the biblical um, understanding of apocalypse is. Yeah, well, so um, very metaphorical um, language um, about trying to understand our present reality um, and what God is calling us to. So if we, if we think about Revelation, um, Revelation is much more a commentary on what the church at that time was experiencing mm-hmm. rather than um, this vision of the world coming to an end. Um, in fact it's really about how God continues to bring new life, even when things are shitty. Yeah. Apocalypse is revealing God's, um, God's works, God's presence in that. Yeah. 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 So where were we? I don't remember. (laughs) Oh, um, that they thought that Jesus was going to come like immediately. And then when they didn't, and Paul was like, Oh, maybe we should rethink some things. Yeah. Yeah. So the question then, um, became um, how how do we understand death um, in this time as we are waiting for the return of Christ um, and so so Paul's answer is going to be um, that that we rest in God's presence um, that even in death we're not separated from the presence of God um, and and he doesn't really tell us much more than that you know we don't get a description specifically about what that's going to be like. Um, but, but that it's, it's really not so much a place, um, but the reality um, that God's love continues to be with us or we, we are with God's love no matter where we are. Yeah. And I think that that might be just like, and some of these things get into that like mystical range of like things that are hard to conceptualize of, um, of what that looks like. Um, but the idea of that, it's this time between when you die and whenever this like second coming, when the revelation, when all of the glory and whatever and all of that's going to be fulfilled, um, which again, they thought was going to happen like right away. Um, and we're still waiting for that, right? So what happens to you in this interim is, is, what, is what ultimately they're trying to figure out. Um, and so part of this, and so, um, you know, 
Paul being from Rome, though having a Jewish background, but all these churches that he's working with, uh, many of them are Gentile churches, meaning they weren't raised in Judaism, right? So they have a different mindset of what this looks like based on, you know, based, based on the religions of their time. Like uh, Hellenistic Greece had, had a different view of this, you know, um, uh, based on Plato and um, based on Homer, really, um, dating all the way that, you know, so in, in ancient Greece, um, in ancient, you know, we Greek mythology, as we call it today, um, after you die, you would go to the underworld, which is ruled by the god Hades, um, and you would take a ferry across the river Styx, um, and then they did believe that there was a judgment that, that would happen at that point in time, um, and then based on your judgment, you would go to, you know, one of three places in, in, in this underworld ruled by Hades. Um, Elsium, which is like the good place. Um, like if, if you came out on the positive side of your sin accounting system, you know, that's, that's where you would go, um, which is much like the vision that we have of sort of paradise of Eden, this beautiful place of green fields and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's Tartarus, uh, which is basically um, the image that we have for hell. Actually, 100% the image that we usually talk about in hell in modern day um, comes from Hellenistic Tartarus. Um, this is the place where you would be punished by, you know, burning in lava and they would torture you, stretch you on racks, all that kind of good stuff. Um, that's the kind of thing when, you know, when we think modern day about our vision of, of what we go to hell um, comes from this. Um, and then there's the asphodel fields um, and... What I could mostly figure out is this is just a place where um, it, it would be kind of like, I don't want to say it's kind of like purgatory because you're not like earning it, but it's like you didn't quite get into the, into the, um, into the heaven part and you didn't quite, weren't quite bad enough to have to go to Tartarus, right? So it's just kind of like that in between sort of, you lived a mediocre life. You go. Yeah, it's, it's neutral. Yeah. Like <laughs> nothing, it's not like going to be great, but yeah. it's not going to be a life or an eternity of torment either. exactly <laughs> um and then the ancient roman um perspective was was very 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 similar uh to this um except for the the ancient god that ruled over it was pluto instead of hades um a few other things that also influence um this is the most influential i, I just want to be very clear about that like this is um, the, the people in, you know, ancient Greece. So where Paul is starting these churches and writing letters to, and all these things, their background was this stuff. This is what they were taught growing up. Right. And so now all of a sudden, okay, they're accepting Jesus. They're accepting Christianity. Great. And so they're taking these ideas that they have and now putting them on Christianity, right? Like, oh, this good place is clearly with God. And oh, um, the, the Tartarus place is clearly, you know, where like the devil and stuff is like, they're just, they're meshing the two ideas. Um, and it just kind of took hold. And, and that's where sort of what this, this idea of heaven and hell that we have is sprung out of. Um, but just to reflect that, that that comes out of Hellenistic Greece and, and not out of um, um, Judaism. But I want to talk about just a few other um, like sort of ancient dead ideas because these also are in influential in this. Um, so the Norse gods, um, you have um, basically there, if, if you die in battle, 
And if you die any other way, you go to separate places. So if you die in battle, you either go to Valhalla, which is a, a feast with the god Odin, or you go to Folkvingar, which is a feast with the goddess Freya. Um, I couldn't find a, like, it just said half of them go to Valhalla, half the dead warriors go here and half the dead warriors go there. I couldn't find a reason one was better than the other, or like they're both feast places just with a different god. Um, and then there's Hell, um, which is not, not our hell at all. Uh, hell, H-E-L, um, is, is a word um, that means covered hall. Um, this is just where everyone else goes. It's not necessarily like a bad place. It's just if you didn't die in battle, that's where you went. Um, yeah, it's like le the less honored. Right, exactly. And so like, that's it is understanding and like the Viking world, like that's your honor was in battle, right? So anyways, um, and then in ancient, so um, in ancient Egypt, they did understand a dualistic um, body and, and sort of soul thing, your ka and then your ba. Um, and so like, when you when you die, um, your your ka, your body had to be like preserved. Um, had to be preserved in order for your soul to live to live on like it had to be protected because if anything happened to your body so they weren't like separated right like they were still connected in a way that like if your body wasn't taken care of then your soul wasn't going to get to go to the good place um and also the same thing is there was a judgment judgment there in in um in in ancient egypt where you got judged and you either went to the good place or you went to the bad place or you were you know where you weren't like your soul was devoured by a demon if you went to the bad place, it didn't live anywhere. It just, he ate your soul. Yes. Ceased uh, existing. Yes. <laughs> Gone. Um, That's it. And what? That's it. Mm -hmm. The end. <laughs> Go ahead and unmodify their body. They don't need it anymore. Um, yeah. And then, um, of, of course, in, um, in ancient Judaism, they just had a uh, shield, which again, was just a, a place that everyone went to die. Um, and it wasn't until about the second temple period. And again, when, so re remember that like um, the Greco-Roman empire were colonizers um, in, in Israel, Palestine. And so when they came in with um, their re religions about these ancient Greek gods and stuff, um, then those ideas started to, to seep into Judaism a little bit. But it wasn't until like having that exterior influence did that ever come up at all. Yeah, and I think too, then that makes it really interesting um, to think about how the same thing happens um, in our contemporary time, that um, we, we are influenced um, both by the, the faith that we inherit, the theology we inherit, um, but also by the values of our culture, um, that those things do influence each other, that Christianity in the United States um, is, um, is affected by our, the myth of our country. Um, so perhaps that's an aside too. Um, no, tell me I, about this. What is the myth of our country? Well, you know, when we think about things like um, manifest destiny, for example, right. that, um, that the colonizers um, who first came here were operating under this understanding that God ordained them to have this land. Um, that, um, that, that is a way that both the culture and the faith 
we're influencing one another. Yeah. Um, and we're, we're working hand in hand. Um, so that's just, that's one example. We could think of others. Um, well, yeah. And I mean, that particular example is still manifests today. Um, and definitely what's going on in, in sort of our, um, in the struggle in our, you know, in our country. Right. Right. And who, who deserves or who gets access to th- certain things and who doesn't. Yeah. Well, and then also that brings up then, you know, even just, um, you know, that religious morality of who gets access to these riches and goodness of God, mm-hmm. right? Like, and then, and what, well, we're talking about what are those, but like, they're talking about m- much of what I think happens in, in, in Christian, I don't know, maybe preaching or just thought is like, how do you gain access to this? Right. And so a lot of language around like, what do you have to do to earn it? Or what are the rules, what you can't do, what you, you know, um, and that very much is, is influenced definitely by, uh, by our culture, mm-hmm. which we've, we've talked a little bit about. So, um, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we, we talked to pastor Chris Schaefer and we talked a little bit about sort of the, the prosperity gospel thing and about how, um, you know, you have pastors walking around in $500 shoes, $1,000 suits, million dollar jets, <laughs> Um, and just to really kind of, I don't know, do, do a stock of our faith, um, and what it is that, that, you know, Christ is really asking of us and what Paul is really trying to, to make a a big point here too. But one, I think that the big things in our, in our culture, um, that is becoming more and more of a thing, at least when it comes to death, um, is, uh, even for people that like don't go to church um, or, you know, maybe haven't gone to church since they were a little kid, have no affiliation to a church whatsoever. When they die, they want a religious ceremony, um, which, which I kind of find to be fascinating. So um, as uh, Melissa knows, um, sometimes, you know, in the life of a pastor, like funeral homes will just call you and be like, hey, are you available to, to do a funeral? Um, which is becoming more and more frequent, I think. Um, I know um, a couple of pastors that are like not quite retired, but up up there, like either retired or almost retired. But like, that's basically all that they do almost every day is just funerals um, for random people that they don't know, uh, which is I don't know. I, I find it really awkward to, to preside over a funeral of a person that you've never met. Um, yeah. And I, and I think what makes it hard um, is that for, for Lutherans anyway, so much of what um, happens in a funeral um, is about the promises that have guided us through a life of faith. Um, and so, so it's hard to know what to do about that when you don't know for this person, did that mean anything or not? Yeah. I, um, I, some, I edit that out sometimes about like, um, just leave out the whole chunk about fulfilling baptismal promises. Cause I was like, Ooh, I don't know. Um, just oh, right. Does that, does that mean anything yeah. to you? Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah I, and, it, and I think too, this sort of brings up a, a question, the question, you know, in our, in our society, um, what, what is it that we believe about death and what are we for, 
for those sort of um, unexpected requests. You know, what, what did that person hope this service would do? Yeah. Um, I think about that too. It's just like the, a couple of funerals that I've done recently and it's sort of like, would this be, I don't know what they would, what they would want if, or are, I don't know. Um, I don't know totally where I'm going with that, but yeah, I, I wonder that too. Cause then you always think about your own funeral and you're like, wow, this is how I would want people to do things. Um, and I don't know. Um, and I also just want to acknowledge that there's a little bit of maybe stress about talking with, about death, um, in our 2020, 2021, pandemic post pandemic kind of life is as I feel like uh, death has been a, a large um, and over looming topic over the past um, year and a half. Um, and I know that like I've, I've done a couple of COVID related funerals. Um, and I also think that was very stressful on funeral homes too, because I think there were a lot of pastors that were unwilling um, to, to do funerals during, during that time as well, which made it extra hard. Um, I also attended my first virtual funeral um, over the past year, which is, I think, a concept that we really wouldn't have been into two years ago. Um, so that's that's kind of strange to think about. But I think this is where it gets complicated for pastors and in, in sort of this I, this like contemporary cultural mindset of like you die, you go to heaven sort of thing um, is I do think it's like it's a sense of comfort, right? Like, um that like, it's okay if you die because you get to go to a better place, right? That that's supposed to be a comfort to us because as humans, like we're terrified to die. Yeah. And I think, you know, we, we want to make meaning out of our places of suffering. And I think again, to your point, like these last year and a half, um, you know, we, we who have largely been, privileged who haven't always like had to think about death as um something we will experience in our daily lives you know um we're having to think about that in different ways um yeah when I was thinking about that um you know thinking about how our view of of death has even has even shifted um even just in the past um 100 years is definitely it was much different than it was um you know we've talked about um in another podcast about the ancient worldview of like life illness and death that there was like life here's the line of life and death and then illness and death is on this side um and we don't think about it that way anymore because when someone gets sick nowadays most of the time they they don't die right like that's not a certainty um, but just to think about like a hundred years ago, a um, hundred years ago, well, in I guess 121 years ago, in the year 1900 in the United States, um, the average lifespan for a white male was 47 years. For a black man, it was 33 years. A white female was 49 years and a black female was 34 years. Like, I'm 31 years old. And to think about like, you know, I'm can't even be close to that, that death thing. Right. Like we got, that's way, way ways. Um, and to hear, you know, some of those numbers is like, Oh wow. Like that was, you know, um, death was a much more like, I don't want to say prominent cause like death, death always happens. Right. But you were like, it was much more like you lived with it immediately. Right. Like it was a much more immediate, um, thing that you had to, to think about, to deal with, um, and probably didn't have as much fear about death as, as we do today. 
And so in the year 2000, the life expectancy for a white male was 75 years, a black male is 68 years, a white female is 80 years, and a black female is 75 years. So in 100 years, the life expectancy more than doubled. Um, which is crazy. Which is, yeah, it is crazy. But it also affects our view of death then, right? And, and life. Um, I mean, because like we expect life to be long. You know, we expect to know our grandchildren. Um, and it also like has made a huge difference in how we even like reproduce as human. Like people are having children later and later in life um, because just our life expectancy is longer. But I would also say, regardless of our life expectancy, um, we still need to cling to some sort of like, this is what happens when you die thing. Yeah, right. And so, you know, my hope would be that we could actually really reclaim what is in our tradition. Um, that, that our comfort can be, um, we're in God's care no matter what, um, that it doesn't have to be about things that often get superficial and are just, you know, about our own happiness. Mm -hmm. um, if we want to call it that, um, but that we can, that we can turn to the truth as revealed in our scriptures and say, you know what the comfort is, is that because we are beloved children of God, um, that's, that's the Lutheran, you know, understanding, mm -hmm. um, that that is enough. Um, and, and I think, you know, that can, that's a challenge for pastors and preachers, but I think it's also a real gift. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think it just has to do maybe a little bit with like, I, I think what it's turned into um, with this idea that we have is that I think that people need to find an immediate um, solace in God that for some reason, you know, you, you know, um, quite often people suffer before they die. Right. And sort of like, then, you know, this is what happens is now you're in a better place that there needs to be some sort of immediate um, solace. And that's, I think that's, you know, that's definitely more of the, the comfort for the living more than anything else. Yeah. And I think, you know, to the powerful thing, um, is our understanding too, is that even death doesn't, uh, isn't the ul ultimate separator between yes, living and, and I, dead. And I think that that's the, the point that, you know, Paul is most trying to make. Yeah. Yeah. That not only like as individuals are mm -hmm. we connected with God, um, but we continue to be what Paul calls the body of Christ, that we continue to be in community um, yeah. and, and how powerful it is that death is no longer what separates us. Um, though it may be our like current reality, you know, right. death, death still happens. Death, um, is still painful and can be full of grief. Um, but it's not the ultimate final word either. Mm -hmm. So what about this final judgment thing that, that we get from these, these other traditions? Yeah, well, I think it's um, thinking about the Hellenistic, the Greco-Roman view. Um, you know, something that stood out to me as you were sharing um, that that is that a Christian perspective would be different is that sort of everything in the afterlife happens in the underworld. 
Um, and even if you're in the good place, you're still separated actually from the gods or, um, you know, yeah. so, so there's an interesting distinction there for us, um, even as we're trying to sort of get out of this unhelpful heaven, hell sort of contemporary image that um, our understanding is actually that we are with God, um, that that is, that is what happens mm-hmm. to us after death. Yeah, I, I just meant like that whole, uh, you know, sort of what is a Christian perspective of the, that final judgment thing? Like when we die. Gotcha, gotcha. Who, who sends us to heaven and who sends us to hell? Yeah. Um, so you want my answer? I do. I do want your, want your answer. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, you can so- also state that like, there's nowhere in scripture that you can point to, to be like, this is the answer to that question. Sure. And um, yeah, what I'll say is what I think I said at the beginning that um, there's not exactly one clear or definitive answer. Um, What our scripture does is use metaphor and story to help us think about what it would be or what it could be like. Mm -hmm. Um, So, so when I think about, what is called judgment. I actually like to think about it as justice, um, that there is a way that God makes things right. Um, So for me, that is about restoration and reconciliation. And that's for all people and all creation. Um, We talked about that with Pastor Chris too, that that Christ came to save the world um, and it is a singular, the cosmos. Yeah. Um, and so that is not to diminish the places where there are consequences for our actions. But for me, if, if God is a loving God, if God is a gracious God, um, then I think that becomes the most important thing um, about how God interacts with us. Um, that if it's a relationship about love and justice and grace, then that, that is what our life that comes next will be about too. Mm-hmm. Is that, is that a good enough answer? I No, I like that answer because it's rather than, um, rather than like God sitting there being like, let me tally up all these things and decide, you know, where you get to go. It's sort of God like being, okay, we're throwing that aside. Um, which is a really Lutheran way to think about that whatsoever. Um, but so like that whole thing is, and so this is where I, I, you probably had arguments like this in youth group too, um, or like in confirmation, but like, well, where did Hitler go then? Right. Um, because, and so I never really answer that question, but I answer it in like this way um, is sort of like, if we understand like the, the love and, and grace of God. Right. So like think that into your own minds, then what is, how does that apply to other people? But also to think about when we ask questions like that, when we want to know who's in the good place or who's in the bad place, um, those are, that's human jealousy. That is human judgment, um, to sort of say, well, I'm better than him clearly. Like, you know, I might not be the best person in the world, but I'm clearly better than that guy. Right. Like that's, um, that's human judgment and humans putting that on, on each other. Um, and to understand that like God doesn't function 
that way and isn't nearly as petty as we are. Right. And I think, I like to think too, like at my worst moments, how would I want people to interact with me? So again, this is not to excuse like the horrific things no, that correct. people yes. do to each other. Um, but at my worst moments, like, is that, is that how I want the wholeness of my life to be viewed? That um, there was nothing ever redeemable or lovable about yeah, me? I don't know. Um, and, and for me, it just comes back to my fundamental understanding that, um, you know, we're created in love. Um, and that's, that is true regardless of religious affiliation or not. Um, and, and if that is true, then, um, then I think ultimately, um, God is always responding to us in love and that love sometimes is going to invite transformation. Um, it doesn't mean we can just like be shitty and say, oh, it's fine. God will take care of it. Um, so, so that's, that's what I think about, um, with that, that really pointed question about yeah and you know like again it's to say not not excusing anything like i'm gonna be very clear like definitely the most horrible human being in modern history right like um i think it's just simplest it's too simplistic and also to just say that like we don't know right like i always like to be really honest about that like listen we're 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 speculating this is one of those topics that everything that we do is speculation and we have no way of answering these questions until we're somewhere where we can no longer come back and tell you people about it. Right. Like that's. Right. And you know, I, I would love to see Christians lean way more into the, I don't know. Here's yeah. like how I would think through this. Here's what makes sense to me. But I don't really right. know. Like I can't say for certain. Um, and actually, thanks be to God for that. Yeah. Well, and you know, and I like that approach and, and to understand that too. But I also feel like there's a lot of, a lot of pastors that feel like they can't say that. Like when people come to them, they're supposed to have answers that like their job as a pastor is, is, is to speak on behalf of God. Right. And so like, we're not allowed to not have the answer that someone religiously asks. But in, in all honesty, like I agree with you, sometimes the most faithful things that we can do is say, I don't know. Mm -hmm. And I think if we, you know, have a, have a deep encounter with our scripture, that's often the answer too. you know, I think about Job who like went through all of this suffering um, and he and his friends are arguing about how to make sense of it um, and are calling on God to like, say, like, tell us what's going on. Um, and God's response actually doesn't answer the question. <laughs> um God just says, hey, I created everything. Um, you know, you a mortal, you know, can you even comprehend that? And the answer is no. <laughs> um, Ever. You know, so, so I, I think our, our witness in scripture um, can help us claim that too. Um, that it is a faithful response to say, you know what? I don't know. Yeah. You, you touch on a deeper, a deeper question though, that I think when we, we think about this life and, and death and that, that need and that longing to have that, that better place thing, um, it, it touches on that question about suffering. Um, and so the churchy word for that is called theodicy, um, which is a fancy word for 
Um, why is there suffering and where is God in this? Why does God allow suffering? Um, this is one of those, like, I would say the top five big life questions. I would also say, where do you go when you die is probably one of those top five questions too. Um, and all of those are the top five big questions because they're questions that, you know, we, we can't necessarily answer that, that people have perspectives of. Um, for a perspective on um, suffering and where is God, um, I recommend reading Night by um, is it Eli Wessel. Is that his name? That's, that's a book I, I recommend reading. So he is a person, um, uh, he's Jewish and it's about, um, it's about thinking about this question um, through his experience of being in a concentration camp. Um, and his ultimate perspective was that God is suffering with us. That when we humans do and cause suffering to one another, God is, is also suffering. That we are in fact inflicting pain on God which I can understand. Also, um, so that, um, now I'm going down this rabbit hole because I just have to. Um, so that there are, you know, like um, we might identify, which, which I, I, I like this approach of identifying different kinds of suffering in this world. So you have um, what's called moral evils and natural evils. So like natural evil is just the suffering that exists as, as a part of life. Like um, it's no one's fault. Um, you know, like, you know, a cat eats mice, right? The mouse suffers, but that's a part of life. You know, you got the, the food chain thing, right? Like, so there's different things like that, that are like death itself. Um, there are deaths that are just natural, right? Like that's just, and that causes people to suffer, right? Like anytime someone we love dies, whether it's natural or whatever, like we, we suffer, right? And then there are the moral evils. And these are the, this, this is where I would identify the area of, of sin, right? Like this is where we are inflicting suffering upon each other. Um, and, you know, there's all sorts of like, you can think of like the individual sin, like I did bad, I hurt someone, I did this. But then there's that, the, the bigger concept of sort of like the, the structural sins, right? That like, just being a part of, um, you know, society in capitalist America is causing suffering to people in other parts of the world, right? Like, it, it just is, right? So there's the systems in play that, that cause this too. So when we try to identify suffering in this world, there's a lot of things that like, you know, you can think about like cancer. Um, a lot of cancers um, are due to things that we have done as humans. Right. And so, yeah, I don't know. So I, I would identify that humans probably cause most of the suffering that takes place in this world. And that yeah, when probably. we do, yeah. And when we do inflict pain on, on our world and on each other, we are in fact causing God to suffer as well. There, I went down the whole, the whole rabbit hole. <laughs> Some more questions um, without <laughs> clear answers. <laughs> Isn't that really like, I don't know. That what, that's what, this is what I think, honestly, what faith is, is to be able to say, I don't know. Right, but let's talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> let's wonder. Let's ask. Um, I'm with you. I trust you, God. And I don't know. Yep. Because I do think that's often the most faithful response is to just say, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Which can also be true about that, like, life after death and taxes, right? Like, we don't really, we don't really know. No, no. Um, 
And, you know, again, if we can be more bold about saying that, you know, I think then there are ways um, that there's still comfort. There's still comfort we can offer um, as people are experiencing the pain of death. Um, But we don't have to offer illusory or false hope either. Yeah. Well, like, yeah, I want to say to everybody listening, please don't go to the next funeral that you go to and be like, well, Pastor AJ said there's no such thing as heaven and hell. And that's not what happens when we die. Please don't do that. Um, Not only is that not what I said, but also it's not like, that's not helpful. Like it's the understanding, like when people say, oh, they've gone on to a better place, right? Like, we don't know that. And that person who said it knows that they don't know that. They say it because, you know, it's a, it's a source of comfort because we have to have that hope, right? Um, and that we're all searching for, for that kind of hope. Yeah, right. And so, you know, I think what I would love to see is that, um, you know, it, it can be awkward. We don't, we don't know what to say, like when people are grieving all the time. Um, and so I think it would be powerful if um, our responses could be, you know, about trusting in God and God's love, um, that that could be our first response mm-hmm. rather than trying to say things that are helpful, but maybe actually aren't like, oh, they're in a better place or, oh, at least they're not suffering or, you know, and we could, we could go down that rabbit hole too of all the things people say in response to grief and death. Anyways, everybody, <laughs> I, I hope that we've given you, um, Maybe maybe take some time to sit with this one. Is this- yeah, we've we've been all over the place. This has been a journey. Yeah, I mean that just generally happens. Um, I I do have follow the rabbit syndrome, um, but I mean it's all related, right? Like you always have like one. I, I think that all of these things are pieces of of the larger puzzle, right? But I say like to to our audience, like just maybe sit with it for a little bit. Cause I know that these, these topics and understanding and concepts of, of what we think about, you know, life and death um, and, and what we have culturally and, and what we have biblically um, that it, um, that these are questions that we, we all have to wrestle with. And then we might not have like the right answer. Like the, there, there is not a right answer, but to sit with that a little bit. Well, thank you, um, Pastor Melissa, for coming down this um, crazy, tough uh, rabbit hole with us and the Corinthians, um, as they were also very confused about what's going on here. Um, But anyways, uh, thanks for joining us. And everyone, um, please um, catch us next week. And I always say us, but really it's me and whoever I'm talking to next week. Just come back. (laughs) Come back next week. Um, but please subscribe wherever it is that, that you listen um, to podcasts so you can get notifications of upcoming episodes. And of course, uh, follow us on facebook.com forward slash shit they don't tell you on Sunday um, for also updates, some fun videos, maybe a, a thing or two for me um, and our guests so that you can um, stay up to tune with, with new topics. Um, anyways, thank you everybody and take care. <laughs>